This episode of Intergalactic Interviews is brought to you in part by Over the Moon Games. Purchase the Fall, available now on PC, Mac, Linux, and Wii U. Blending the best elements of sci-fi creativity, The Fall is being called one of the best games you must play of 2014. Purchase The Fall now on Steam or HumbleBundle.com. Psst, some of us worked on it. Order The Fall today. Buy it now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing out there? This is indeed Intergalactic Interviews, episode 61. I am your host, Jamie McDonald, and that's important to differentiate today because I'm sitting here with none other than a very, very interesting, very high energy, very driven, very motivated, very ambitious individual. Uh, you may have seen or read about his work on uh, 2020, on uh, MSNBC, on uh, the Today Show. Uh, he's uh, spoken at several different uh, major companies, including MasterCard, uh, the govern the federal government of Canada. Uh, he's also worked uh, with Kijiji. It's too many names. I could go on and on and on and on and on, uh, but you could probably just check out his website, redpaperclip.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Kyle McDonald. <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, that was pretty good. I've actually not bad. sort of forgot about some of those. Like, oh, yeah, Kijiji, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah like, uh, uh, as far as accolades go, yeah. that was like, at least, that's got to be a top three. It's pretty good. My, mom's, memory, my mom still cuts yeah. my hair, so I try to keep it, like, even keel on that stuff. It's sort of, it's funny, It's it's it sounds really impressive. Yeah. And if you do something that makes people impressed, they'll think that whatever you do next will be impressive, which is a really dangerous, like, concept. It's but. like you constantly build up this idea that if, like, you are capable of something like that, then everything yeah. after is amazing. Like, yeah, I cooked dinner last night. Was it amazing? Was it yeah. featured on, you know? It went viral. Yeah, yeah it went totally viral, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how are you doing today? Really good. Uh, we had a, a chance encounter that led to this podcast, which is uh, pretty interesting. I think I'll just give a rundown really quick for the, everyone out there. So everyone listening, um, essentially, I was finishing up a podcast recording uh, a few weeks ago, leaving the studio here downtown in Vancouver. And uh, I generally just transit home because the condo's right next to a uh, SkyTrain. So why not? Why? And, I, and then I can drink as well, which is always a plus. So uh, not a big deal, but... Um, uh, I was waiting for the episode to, to bounce, to render, and while I was doing so, uh, I decided to browse Reddit, and I was on the Vancouver subreddit, and I saw it said, free taxi rides tonight, free rides, giving free rides to anyone who will uh, listen to me about the current taxi situation in Vancouver, and I, I thought this was really intriguing, and uh, the post was from hours before, so I thought, for sure, this guy's already booked for hours in advance. Sure enough, I click his Twitter, and here I am. Uh, I, I was I was looking and I was like, hey, he's just around the corner. So I shot him a message. He came by. He picked me up, and he was gracious enough to drive me all the way out to uh, my condo. And uh, in doing so, uh, we start talking about the current state of transportation and and uh, the taxi cartel, so to speak, in uh, in the Lower Mainland in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, Kyle had some really interesting points. And then. Uh, uh, we exchanged what we were doing that day and I was I did a Oculus Rift demo earlier and it was just all these like kind of crazy experiences back and forth and then uh, all of a sudden I had uh, a really really strong impression to be like what wait a minute I think I kind of recognize you and uh, Kyle Kyle was like well 
Uh, did you ever hear about the guy who traded a red paperclip for an entire house? And I was like, you know what? I do recall that story. And that story was viral and uh, it's, it's led you to so many different adventures. And, and that's led us to this point. We've uh, been chatting for the last few weeks and uh, yeah, here we are now. So, sir, uh, I'm sure everyone wants to know out there and you've talked it to death, but the initial process of trading a red paper clip and to getting a house, what was the general timeline of that? What was the full timeline? Full timeline was July of 2005 until July of 2006. I started with a red paperclip on July 12th, 2005. I traded a it for a pen shaped like a fish here in Vancouver. What kind at, of fish? I was like, just like a, I don't know, must have been like fresh water, who knows. <laughs> it was made out of wood and it banded it. It like actually moved when you wrote with it. I traded that wow. in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven just off to Nanaimo and First in Vancouver. <laughs> and then I kind of just kept going from there and it took it took a year, 14 trades from a paperclip to a house and uh 14 trades. Yeah, that's the long story story. Wow. Uh the long story story. Yeah, short. <laughs> Sorry. That's a long story story. That's yeah. a that's the Polly Shore <laughs> short start. Hey, listen. Uh I think uh it's often talked about how there's like this paid role for a film that was the final trade for the the house right yeah what was the trade previous to the the speaking role in the film what was that do you remember that one? Oh yeah i wound up well i'll go back to i wound up with an afternoon with alice cooper so it was wow. like hey you you get to trade this afternoon with alice cooper and i and they said alice's manage manager shep gordon there's a movie coming out about him fascinating guy called me up one yeah. day and he goes hey alice loves that he's a pawn in this game he thinks it's funny hey wh <laughs> why don't you come up on tour with us and see what it's like to do an afternoon it'll help with the promo mm -hmm. you know well, uh, each person will scratch each other's back, all that stuff. And I went up there to North Dakota and I tr ended up spending an afternoon with Alice Cooper and then actually having an afternoon to trade as well. So I sort of wound up with two afternoons. Wow. I wound up trading that afternoon with Alice Cooper though for uh, a, a snow globe, like a kiss snow globe. And it, you'd shake it up. It had a motor in it, it had lights. So it was like like a straight on, like a holiday snow globe or yeah. just a general snow globe? Like a, uh, like it was like, Kiss glitter glowed. It wasn't um, like Kiss Save Santa or something like no, that. No, no, it was just like Kiss made some money off merchandising. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like it was like, it was pretty cool. The thing was, that was the, of all the trades I had, that was the only one I had sort of, not set up per mm -hmm. se, but um, I'd found out previously to this, that this guy, Corbin Burnson, he's like, hey, I'd love to offer you a role in a movie. We should try to make a deal. Okay. And I looked for months and months and months to try and figure out a way to get to him to make a trade. And I just, this like light bulb went off in my head and I realized that he, because I checked his Wikipedia page. It's like a really long, elaborate story, but. Right, no, but you're researching him. I've, I found out that, because I didn't know who he was. Right. I'm like, Corbin Burnson, sure, whatever. Yeah. And then I found out, oh, interesting. LA Law, all these different movies right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he actually turns out is one of the world's largest collectors of snow globes. So I called him up and said, <laughs> Corbin, um, I'm being offered this snow globe. If I made a trade for the snow globe, would you then, we could make a trade for the, the movie role? And he's like, not only do I want that globe, I need it. So I like ended wow. up, but wow, I didn't have a what? backup plan. So like for an entire week, like if he had, you know, got hit by a bus, I would have been a guy with a snow globe and literally yeah. no backup plan. So it was, wow. There's no but you're rather resourceful. I would, I imagine you would have turned that situation on its ear. It would I have would have hoped to, but I, I really was hoping, like fingers were crossed. And <laughs> so, yeah. so the role came down, and then you eventually traded uh, that speaking role. So this would have been trade thirteen. Yeah, thirteen uh, was the trade to get to the home. Yeah, or yeah, and then so 
And then the, the town of Kipling, Saskatchewan owned a few different houses in their town, but they had 400 houses in town and they owned about five of them. And one of the houses was on Main Street. They were looking to sell it any, anyhow. And then one of their community development guys said, hey, why don't we make a trade with this paperclip guy? So they, the town <laughs> ended up getting the movie role. They held live auditions in town during this festival. And this local resident, Nolan Hubbard, actually, you know, was working for minimum wage at the Bottle Depot just out of high school. And two months after he won the role, he was down in Los Angeles working on this film. And uh, wow. amazing actor. It was just this bizarre, like, convoluted, crazy thing that just sort of... It, each step of the way, it got crazier and crazier and more elaborate and funny, but actually, like, more reasonable if you think about it in kind of right. hindsight. Because at some point, you're, you're marketing and and you're exchanging on the level that they're comfortable with like they're reaching out and saying hey I'll, I'll trade you this because i'm comfortable you know maybe parting with this and you're like yeah i'll take it that's an advancement from my previous position of all, all i literally did was said i have this does anyone want to make an offer and <laughs> not once did i like actually convince anyone anything i just said i've got this let's make a deal and wow i'd get like 200 300 offers for each thing it's like non-negotiating you just like you, you, you know what I'm saying? Not non-negotiable, but non-negotiating, in that you you just get uh, offers, and you're like, yeah, this one. You don't because you're not counter-offering, right? Uh, no. Well, we would. The only counter-offer I would make would be like, okay, well, can we do it during this time frame, or just to oh, kind of fit into schedule? That's just like itinerary. That's yeah. Not, yeah. If it was really interesting to see when you start to do something what starts to happen as a result like you sort of create this weird pull where there's interest on an idea right and now now that being said uh you mentioned the young fellow who won the uh, uh the speaking role in the film yeah uh in the role uh you've forever shaped a part of his life now yeah in in a way that really most people never have the opportunity to do so they you've you've provided that and that's only one person now imagine the the number of people that have heard of this story and have been inspired to do their own uh, social mayhem, essentially. And, and that that's really cool. And, and honestly, when we first started talking about this, uh, I remember hearing this story when I first heard it, but it, it was like very, uh, in a transparent sense, it was very like I heard about it and I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then just no follow up on it, you know, it's it's an entertaining piece. Sure, it's, it's, it's one of those stories that like, I just, I started out with a paperclip and said, does anyone want to trade for something bigger or better? Right. And then started, you know, meeting people. And for me, the, the motivation was to actually meet people and see what it was like to have these exchanges mm -hmm. uh, with new, new random people. It was sort of like hitchhiking on the internet to see who would come along. There you go. Yeah. Now and, you've mentioned previously that like hitchhiking was something you did growing up, like common, commonplace essentially. Yeah. Like I've, <laughs> I've hitchhiked across like Australia, like the entire continent wow. before and uh, I, I'm all over Europe as well, and I, I think it's surprisingly not that much in Canada. It's usually cold here, but so it's <laughs> the distances are so far greater. Or I'm like licensed to drive and have cars here, yeah. but it's it's uh, I, I think hitchhiking is one of these things that it used to be popular. It used to be a great way to get around, and then it's sort of I guess as people have gained more wealth and time goes on, uh, maybe there's some like scare stories out there. People don't do it, but there's actually we have the yeah. tools to actually do it safer than ever. Yeah, the stigma surrounding it is you'll get I mean like I'm sure I, I when I told people yeah I took a free cab ride yeah they're like oh uh, and I was like well first of all he picked me up in like a, a car it wasn't yeah. like a panel van or something <laughs> right. like that right and free then uh, candy yeah and you know I, I got in I did a courtesy a chloroform check yeah behind me you know nothing was there he's a great guy he was entertaining what can I say I, yeah. I think it's like a fear of sharks or something like you, you know we don't go in the ocean a lot of people won't go in the ocean because they're afraid of sharks but like it would actually be hard to go get eaten by a shark like that's true but 
I, I think most people, they try to relate it to a land animal. So like, sure. like when people say, oh, be careful of bears when you go camping. Yeah. That's like, that's a real warning. But sure. At the, but at the same time, uh, it's because you can physically see a bear most yeah. of the time. You only really see sharks if shit's going down. That's true. So, yeah. So when you hear about a shark attack, people are like, well, they're out there. Who? I mean, they're <laughs> out there. But if you, I think if you could see how many actual sharks are, are on like the coast or, or, uh, or in the area you're swimming, that would be a cool app. If you could be like, yeah, there's a shark tracker. <laughs> shark like track. That. Yeah. Cause then you would know if it's like, ah, surf's up dude. GPS shark. Right. Go out to, uh, uh, Tacoma. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where the fuck to go. Anyway. Uh, so, so after you trade, uh, and you get this homestead, what was, what, what happened next? What was the next we, step? We moved into the house. We li- we lived there and we lived in Kipling, Saskatchewan, small town, thousand people, hour and a half, hour and a half. You must have just Regina. been like a rock star going it, into it that was, uh, It was a bit surreal, kind of like being uh, Truman in the Truman show where <laughs> everyone in town knew who we were and we sort of, we met lots of people. Um, but it was sort of this unbalanced thing where everyone knew who we were and mm-hmm. um, my when, girlfriend and I. When you say we, is that who you're referring to? Uh, my girlfriend at the time, yeah, Dominique. We uh, we lived there and we were like extremely famous in that town. Yeah. And it was the sort of thing where like, let's go buy, I need to go buy some milk for this cereal and it might take an hour because everyone's, hey, how's it going? And like, not that it, it was, wasn't great. It was actually the opposite of being anonymous in a big city where you right. just do whatever you want all the time. <laughs> and I, But that was the best part about living there was just actually meeting people and making friends. And uh, Wow. And it was far more exotic living in an extremely small town in the middle of the prairies than traveling to many other countries I've been to. They're just the... I think most Canadians don't realize that live in big cities or anyone in the world for that matter when you live in an extremely small community the dynamics are completely different and it's like in many ways sort of futuristic but going back in time like it's it's a culturally yeah. by necessity very different yeah. and that was really neat to sort of uh, not only be exposed to that but just sort of take some great things away from there right and I mean my experience is the reverse of that being yeah. from a small town and then moving to a larger uh, densely populated area um, Vancouver being probably the smallest big city out there, obviously, but at the same time, possessing that anonymity of being able to like, I can go to Subway at 3 a.m. and no <laughs> one's like, what are you doing at 3 a.m.? Yeah, why, yeah. Why are you walking around getting all shady? Yeah. It's like, I don't, yeah, I don't know why, but that's like, those are, uh, those are real things that pop up in small towns or like, uh, even like things that are very normal, like dating are just so crazy because it's like it can completely collapse an entire social structure of, of everyone. The whole dynamic of a town, if, if a certain couple splits up, can just fuck everyone's social calendars and schedules. It's like, well, I can't go with blah, 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 because so-and-so uh, fucked uh, blah, blah last week, and I, I fuck her, you know, I'm not going to. And then it's like, that shit doesn't fucking really matter in the city, because it's like, well, there's a million people you could replace in your cast of life sure. with that person, like, literally. So... Uh, yeah, the dynamics are pretty odd. What was the what was the biggest thing you took away from that though? Like the the actual small town living. I I just like the openness of uh, like you walk down the street and you would say something to someone like, hey, I was yeah, I was looking to try and I'm trying to find a bunch of used bikes or maybe even broken bikes to fix up. You'd well, mention it. Well, Kyle, uh, I you know I I actually uh, my cousin has a bike <laughs> and uh, he you know well it's not it's a fixer upper. Would you be okay with maybe? Uh, 10 bucks or I, actually you're a good guy yeah how about you just come by and check it out or you know you're gonna say? you're gonna get some steaks later so maybe drop those off and there was a lot of like really sort of free-flowing things and I, I wound up writing a note at the like pub 
and this local guy, Lloyd, saw it, or someone told him about it. So Lloyd shows up on our doorstep, <laughs> lights a cigarette, and he's like, so I hear you're trying to find some bikes. And we're like, what? The yeah. And he's like, well, I, got a, I got a few. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how many? He's like, oh, whole farmhouse full. So we, like, hop in our van, drive out to his parents' you know, homestead out in, the, out in the range type thing. And he has literally <laughs> a dilapidated farmhouse that was built, like, 100 years ago literally full of bikes and we like filled my van full of bikes lloyd how much do you want for per bike and he's like oh i don't know five dollars seem fair i'm like i'll give you 10 a bike how does that sound he's like no sure and like yeah but just these sort of things there's lloyd. sort of a bit of serendipity <laughs> because there's there's l less options mm -hmm. in terms so but that you you focus on what's available well <laughs> okay so i i have a question regarding that uh so when lloyd came on to the uh the porch yeah you say you like lit a cigarette was this like ominously done like where you're like this guy's he's an old timer he's, he's you know, <laughs> was this like the smoky man from uh the x-files no he's like a character in town he's sort of like a savant actually he's for like, you to say that he's a character yeah says quite a bit oh yeah there's a movie about him actually uh, what? what what's it called i can't think it's not there's a film about this guy with i the think bikes? it's called rust and he comes off as this sort of like uh yeah so corbin burnson i believe it's public media works made a film called rust and they shot it there in Kipling and Lloyd is plays himself and he comes off as like a sort of not what's it like not a dunce or something but like sort of the, the town fool but he who's but also has great insight and I he's see. like that yeah. <laughs> and no, he's I, no he's larger than life like he's one of those guys that um, he definitely sees the world differently and yeah. it does things differently well I think you see the world really differently <laughs> and I, I really like that now some of the things you've done on redpaperclip.com uh, your your company, Red Paper Clip. Uh, yeah. You guys essentially, and uh, uh, stop me if I'm wrong here or correct me, but you guys essentially are entrepreneurial idea idea creators. Like there are people out there in a consulting capacity, and and you work within that role essentially for companies. Is that how I, Red Paper Clip goes about its business? Yeah. Or is that too packaged even? The to self say that? copy on there is probably a bit like <laughs> it blows up <laughs> ourselves. What I try to do is like, you know, a lot of venture capital <laughs> kind of groups will have these pitch sessions and like incubators and accelerators and all these things. Think tank. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and a lot of them are around ideas to, they're all, they're, don't get me wrong, they're all to do some sort of social good or make money. But I, uh, certain, I question some of that mentality and try to do right. from an, from an idea of like, let's just do it just because we want to and then if it works out well or is a total disaster then we know but like to just try things out and see what happens because of that and and I find when you do things that there's no real business model around you actually get to a place that might be it might actually seem like it's totally insane but because it's so insane people talk about it and it gives it this sort of like idea let's like a, almost like a comedy song or something people don't really want to hear that but then they do because it's so ridiculous or right because they're not making it to make money they're making it because of, that's funny and it's if it's entertaining there's value to that if it's absolutely yeah i don't know that's sort of the that's actually really smart i like that idea. like um, the idea of like uh not doing it intentionally for financial gain it, uh i don't know i think that's that's a pretty cool idea well some of the cool things you guys have done uh yeah. like this is so like for for ideas that if you pitch them randomly on the street, yeah. I would say the percentage of people that would commit to it, like, yeah, let's go do that right now, it's, they're pretty uh, non-conventional ideas, I would say. Like, like uh, uh, oh, okay, so I, I, here's one I remember. Uh, just off, this is off the top of my head here. Uh, you guys bought all of the inventory in, like, a mom-and-pop 
bodega kind of store, right? Is that, what happened there? Is that what happened? What happened there was after the red paperclip story, I wound up with a couple book deals and for the first time in my life had like uh, a couple checks, like nothing crazy, but just enough to sort of, oh, I don't have to work for like six months. This is awesome. And my right, expenses yeah. are extremely low. But then I was thinking like, all right, well, what you always hear about sales or people buying a lot of something at a store, but has anyone ever walked into a store and just literally bought everything? And I'm like, I could probably maybe buy everything in like a corner store. And then I'm like, first of all, why? And then I was like, why not was the answer. But then, (laughs) but not to have the stuff, but I was just sort of like, all right, well, what would happen? What would, what would sort of, no, I've never heard of anyone doing this. And I'm like, it's, I don't know what it is. It's a statement. Is it art? It's just, it's more just to do it and then see what happens. So that spooled around in my head for like four years. And then one day um, I'd spent that book book deal cash I had no I had literally no money but I had credit cards I'm like I'm gonna just go do this I'm just gonna do it so I cash advanced like 20 grand on credit cards Christ which is like really poor financial management but then um so we had and I had to do it four days in a row because it was in New York City and they'd only let me take five thousand dollars a day out because it was a Canadian credit card so I wound up with twenty thousand dollars cash like in an apartment in New York we put it in a briefcase we went down to a corner store now we, we were like, all right, I was working with Jody, Jody Gannett, who, is, uh, helped, who got involved with the red paperclip story. I made a trade with her during the paperclip story. Okay. And I said to her, we're coming to New York. We're going to do this. We're going to buy everything in a store. Do you have any ideas for which corner store? store? Yeah, and yeah. she's like, oh, it's got um, to be Hercules, Hercules Fancy Grocery, right away. And I'm like, well, maybe we'll, you know, check out a bunch. But le- she's like, let's go check out Hercules first. So, so we, Hercules we go to, Fancy Grocery yeah, in New York. But West Village, like fine beers, bunch, bunch of like uh, random, you know, like toilet paper and random items pop and stuff like that. Mostly beers though, which was yeah. kind of cool. But we went in there and, and she knew him. Hey, Hercules, how's it going? She didn't tell him any of this stuff, what we were up to. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what's, well, you seem a bit sad. He's like, yeah, they're like jacking up my lease, these, the rents and stuff. So... Um, I'm gonna have to close the shop in two months and she's we looked over at each other and we're like whoa we have to do it here like wow he's going out of business because his rents getting like tripled the universal <laughs> synchronicity of that was yeah pretty wild and then we just literally put it in a briefcase bought everything in the store he was beside himself really happy it paid off a lot of his debt he was able to um, he was going to close the store the lease was pretty ironclad but um, and then we wound it up with all this stuff and if you go to a store buyout storebuyout.com you can see all this stuff but that's right and uh it, there's a video of it the whole the whole experience right yeah i probably gave away some parts of the video but the the crazy thing that happened was we wound up with all this stuff like i was it cost i think eighteen thousand dollars seven hundred and ninety one and ninety three cents so it was like 20 grand wow. worth of stuff we Jesus bought everything Christ. everything at uh, face value and then we paid full tax on everything. So he wasn't giving you like, ah, oh, like uh, three bags of chips. No. You know, that's that's one. I'm like yeah. full real t- retail price. The receipt is 57 and a half feet long. It has over 3,000 items. We've, we're calling it the world's longest receipt ever. Wow. And we have it inside this like little glass case and it's for sale for the exact price of what it cost to buy everything in the store <laughs> as like an art piece. And we, we had this art show with all these pieces around. And one of the things we had up was this. So we were selling pop cans for that's $200. And like, Dude, that's so genius. Okay, yeah. But like, okay, go ahead. But we had this briefcase that we used to hold the cash. Yeah. And we put it up for $10,000. And we said, well, we'll include a speaking engagement from all the members of the store buyout team. And um, we'll, we'll fly down to wherever you are and do a if you buy this briefcase for 10 grand and someone these two women in Houston actually bought the briefcase we helped them out with this little flash mob thing they were doing wow. in Houston so I, I we're sort of 
at the point with the project where it's actually broken even. I've made I've made money licensing the video footage off to like German national TV and stuff. Wow. So I haven't actually made money on buying everything in a store, which wasn't was sort of the concept. The concept was just to do it, and then once we decided and committed to doing it, all these other opportunities kind of came along. But I, you know, eventually, I, I personally think if someone buys that receipt um, for the exact face value, I think that would sort of put bookends on the project and give the receipt actual artistic value to that person as a collector. It's a one, it's a one-off Absolutely. piece. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, as far as social experiments go, yeah, that is definitely near the forefront of, of <laughs> like, like essentially like think of like for those of you out there who are thinking like, okay, like what's going on here? Like, like really approach this from, um, a, a non-traditional linear line <laughs> of thinking. You got, you got to think about it. Like what, what is the best way to make an impact without trying to make an impact other than yeah. making an impact? Like that it's almost a paradox into it of itself. And I think that's actually very artistic in its own way. So it, your, your line of thinking there, it became so insane that it made perfect sense. That's it, like yeah, we were, yeah. we, we had this cube van from U-Haul parked out front. We were filling up with all the stuff from the store and I got a parking ticket. And we're like, Oh, well, we'll, we'll have to move it. And then we ended up drinking some of the beers and eating pizza inside the U-Haul. <laughs> of course, you just bought it. And then we're like, we can't, we can't move this U-Haul tonight. So we went back the next day, bam, another ticket on there. These are $65 tickets in Manhattan. Wow. And we're like, shit, we gotta move. Okay, so we gotta move the van. Where are we gonna put it? And we, I started looking around Manhattan for parking. And okay, so U-Haul, because we didn't have anywhere to put the stuff. We right. like, we bought everything in a store, put it in U-Haul and we're like, okay, well, I guess we gotta figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> Was there no plan then what to do with the inventory? Uh, we were, the plan was to find, like, do, like, a pop-up shop and sell it all somehow and hopefully recoup our loss. But, like, yeah. <laughs> the U-Haul um, wouldn't take it. I found parking in Manhattan, but it was going to be $90 for parking. And I'm like, screw it. We'll just pay for parking tickets. So it was, because it was cheaper to pay for parking tickets than pay for parking in Manhattan. <laughs> so we had six of these parking tickets. And then we actually, when we did set up this little pop-up art gallery store thing called the Store Buyout Gallery, uh, we took the, some of the parking, we took all of the parking tickets, put them inside little glass cubes and put them for sale for face value. And people started buying them. We started selling parking tickets for their face value. And that's when I realized that like, if you tell a convincing story or position things in any way, people will literally buy anything. Cause they, not because they're, they're dumb or they're stupid. It's cause they get value out of that as right. a talking point. These, these are guitars, but maybe they're art, maybe they're a conversation piece. That's right. Cause the perceived value. Yeah, so, like in the eye of the beholder, essentially. Totally, and that and it kind of brings back to the end of the paperclip stuff. People ask, "What were all these things worth for all the trades?" And I'm, or what mm. what is this worth? And I'm like, "Well, it's worth whatever someone's willing to give me for it." Which exactly, yes. is seems like a super like ooh hippy dippy, floaty, ate too many mushrooms type answer. But the <laughs> the reality is, it is that, and most people are willing to pay the same amount for most yeah. things. That's why there's a marketplace. But like to some people they're like there's there's no such thing as priceless it's like i need that no matter what what is your educational background anyway yeah you're you're well read you're rather learned port moody senior secondary there you go <laughs> no the uh <laughs> well yeah there and um but i yeah i went to um ubc and i studied geography which is uh the study of the obvious <laughs> yeah, much. yeah. <laughs> so read a lot of maps so you're a cartologist I, I'm not that good at cartography, actually. I'm good at reading maps, but I almost not Car failed. Did I say cartologist? It, I meant cartography. Yeah, Jesus cartology. Christ. I don't know. Is that what it is? Cartologist? It's got, cartology's got to be something. I don't know. It's, it's in there. Yeah? You're Carter? I don't know. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, what, 
what was it that made you want to get involved with uh, today's situation with uh, the, the taxi and the, and the cab cartel? Now, you were throwing some very interesting facts to me that, that night we, we met. And uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to misappropriate the numbers or, or the ideas behind it. But uh, if I could introduce it yeah. and maybe have you explain a little bit more. Oh, I, I, I would, I would definitely love, and I could, I know you're a passionate guy, so yeah. I, I can just, all I have to do is kind of nudge the the ball, and I know, I know you'll get rolling. But um, essentially, uh, for a long time now, uh, taxi licenses used to be very inexpensive. Yeah, and uh, that is to to operate a taxi vehicle, a vehicle for public transportation, uh, for pay for hire, and essentially what has happened is uh, due to what exactly we were just discussing with red paperclip and, and the perceived value of things. Sure. Uh, the market is now dictating that these licenses are well over a million dollars. Very expensive. Um, even with inflation, you'd have to think that that's very, very high in, in its price. So that being said, uh, that seems pretty wild, but it's more wild that only people with existing licenses are capable of even purchasing new licenses if new licenses are even issued by the city. Is it's, that it's, even it's, slightly accurate? It's very accurate, and that's the scary part. The, the word taxi cartel is actually factual. It's like cartel. a perfect example of what's yeah. going on. I'm, I'm really passionate about urban transportation. I've always been just like a total transit nerd. Right. Um, I, I believe that it's... The great thing about cities is there's so many options on how to get around. If you're in a small town, you're going to probably end up driving a car because the, the capacities don't exist for good public transit to work. You need you need a certain population right. density. Yeah. But in cities, you got all this, you have all these people, and you just simply can't build your way out of the problem by having roads and and freeways going everywhere. So if you do have higher densities using uh, trains, public transit, you can actually put more people through a certain area. And give people, most importantly, give people the uh, choice whether they do want to drive, which is crazy. The drive is the default for our, our getting around. Right. But um, you you brought up a good point about driving when we were in the car. You said, look at all these cars in the road right now. Yeah. I think there's one person per vehicle with room for five in each vehicle. Is it's, that? It's it's like an absolute. Um, we have so much abundance of motor vehicle technology and wealth that we are over undervaluing other forms of getting around. And the right. crazy thing with, with uh, I'm sort of getting lost in circles here, but- I'm sorry, uh, I keep steering you around. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I believe it's absolutely insane. When you're on the highway and you're in traffic stuck there, you look around, there's like one or two people in most cars, usually one. And that's great. If you're in a car and you need to go somewhere and you, you should be able to get there, but Maybe if there was different incentivization, you might want to pick up some passengers or you might not want to have a car. You might want to just be a rider and you actually might pay a, a premium for that. Instead of having to park a car, pay for insurance, pay for all these things, people sort of value their transportation dollars as gas, but there's so many hidden costs to owning a car. Um, you're, not, you're not able to go out. If you drive a car to somewhere, if you go and drink there, you can't drive. So that's a tr- cost of choice. There's so, yeah, there's so there many different things. Yeah, yeah, a, a freedom choice. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think the current, uh, the way it's set up, the current taxis are set up uh, is that there's a sort of a paradigm shift happening. Generation Y, millennials, whatever you want to call them, are driving less than any generation previous, starting from about the post-World War II baby boom and motor vehicle wow. boom. So we're getting a lot of, like, and this has to do with uh, graduated licensing, increased uh, insurance premiums, mm-hmm. uh, stricter drinking driving laws, 
Uh, smartphones, people don't really want to be in a car driving listening to music. They want to be sitting, a lot of people want to be sitting on a bus or a transit. Uh, or even not having to commute, but using their phone more often because there's so much entertainment yeah, there. Right. Yeah. And I think what's happening is um, it's, it's starting now. You can see it with like bike lanes and bike share and uh, especially ride sharing options like Uber or Lyft. They're starting to encroach on these taxi industries businesses. And the problem is the taxis are absolutely protectionist. They need to protect the value of their medallions because what's happened is originally taxi drivers used to own a permit. Then those permits kind of got sold to these permit pools and leased by non-operator owners. So you have what's in effect a, a, a huge group of drivers out there that are leasing their permit to drive a taxi from a very small group of owners. The owners rarely, if ever, and this is specifically to Vancouver, but most other cities have a similar setup. And but, what it's, but the owners if rarely, if ever, actually drive. R- rarely, if ever. It's like they're landlords on these yeah. cars and they're making an absolute fortune on the increasing value of permits. So they want to cap the number of permits because as soon as the value goes up, they can sell them. They can make money on their investment. Of course, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's crazy because um, the higher those values go, the more resistant they are to change. Vancouver taxi medallions are trading at around a million dollars right now, which wow. is the highest in North America. And as a result, Vancouver... The highest in North America? Yeah, Vancouver has the highest number, highest taxi rates in North America and the lowest number of taxis per capita because of this. Because if you put... $10 of each $10 of your taxi ride in Vancouver, four of it goes to pay for the lease rates on that permit. Because the driver, if it's worth a million dollars, they lease it out to about 40, for about $40,000 a year to the driver. The driver has to, the first five hours of their shift, they're making money to pay for the lease of that car. And the fact is, a motor vehicle doesn't cost $150 a day in lease fees to drive around a city. It costs an order of magnitude less than that. So what's what in effect yeah, is happening yeah, is yeah. these taxi barons, cartel, it's really a mafia in many ways. They've actually, they own the market so much that um, the average person is paying crazy inflated prices over right. what they should be. And they're taking taxis less as a result. And it's sort of this sort of self, it's a feedback loop that makes the problem worse and worse and worse right. because people want change, but the industry gets more resistant to change as more money flows into it. Right. Now, I worked for... Uh, this is many, many, many years ago, but uh, I worked for Coastal Contacts, which uh, in Canada is known as Clearly Contacts. Yep. And when Coastal Contacts came onto the scene, they were absolutely <laughs> lambasted by uh, the opticians associations of everywhere they worked uh, because they were completely undercutting the cost of these prices of glasses. Now, you wear glasses. I, that, I wear, I that's wear glasses. the perfect example. I've yeah. never actually thought it in those terms. Um, I used to never, I never bought a pair of glasses at full retail in a store because my mom worked for, uh, my mom was a teacher and I had full uh, glasses, oh, medical. But I would go in, it would be like $600 for yeah, a pair of glasses. But, I you know, contacts, I but I, I, I grew up the exact same way. I had glasses yeah. and it'd be like, here's your glasses for the next five years. I went into an optometrist <laughs> two years ago and said, I'd like to get my interpupillary distance and prescription. Right. And which is, you need to order anything yeah, online. Your, your PD, your pupillary <laughs> yeah. distance. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'd like to get this. And he's like, oh, it'll be $100 to get that information. Which pretty much, and he checked up yeah, my eyes. Like, he provided a great service. Yeah. And then I'm like, I, I need it written on a piece of paper, please. And he's like, oh, well, we can just put it on our computers. Maybe you should go downstairs and check out the glasses. And I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm paying to know just basic information. Yeah. I'd like to know that. And he was really, really nervous. And I walked out the door and yeah, it, it's, it seems it's bad for the 
you know, pre-existing yeah. incumbent optometry industry. But instead of paying $600 for a pair of glasses, I, these ones I bought from Zenny Optical. And for $23, I had a pair of glasses in my mailbox a, less than a week later. That's and right. That's uh, because I, because the game market, changer. yeah, the, the game was changed because the market was directly affected by by what the people wanted. The people were like, well, we're kind of tired of paying this much for glasses. And so a guy like Roger Hardy, who's yeah. the CEO of uh, Coastal, uh, yeah. he was like, well, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and take some ideas here. And, and uh, I'm going to, I'm like, my ideas, by take ideas, I mean like ideas he had for the situation. <laughs> and uh, take some ideas here and put them down and uh, let's see what happens. And they, they went from like, I mean, when I got hired there, I was, I think I was 150, 155 or something. That was my employee number or whatever. Yep. And when I left, it was like 600 employees or something like that. And now it's even bigger. And uh, they just sold this past spring for the largest online acquisition in the history of the world. Really? Not not just Canada, just in the world. So they went for like uh, close to, close to $500 million. Wow. $160 million. So... When you look at that and you go, okay, uh, that was a company that started off like on a ping pong table, literally. <laughs> yeah. So for that that idea to be, you know, brought to the market and then be immediately shunned by the existing practices. Who, who says that the interests yeah. of uh, people with their optical care is what they're all about? That's right. They're like, oh yeah, it's, but we're uh, you can't trust someone online to give you eyeglasses. Come to our brick and mortar store. Sure. Okay. Start selling glass for twenty bucks, and I'll come there because exactly. you can make them for that price. Like that's, that's right. it's physically possible. Yeah. yeah. That's a, like an eight hundred percent markup. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be like bars selling beer for one hundred and fifty dollars each. That's right. And you can make you it in your basement. Your own. Yeah. 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 You're like, uh, but I don't need that. You're like, well, but do you get the experience of yeah, going yeah. out to? And it's like, okay. And for for some, like, just to play devil's advocate, yes, there is an experience there to sure. sell, and, and so so there is that. But like. With Uber, yeah, and uh, uh, what was the other one you mentioned? Lyft. Lyft. Yeah. With Uber and Lyft, uh, they are catering to a market that is completely made up of people that want to be involved in that. It's not like it's it's a bit different you know with eyeglasses because I mean? eyeglasses is sort of I can't believe it's not actually covered by uh, provincial Medicare when you get right down to yeah. it. Yeah, but well, well, dental isn't for the most part in Canada either. But yeah, it, that's it, weird. Actually, did you know Canada is the one of the worst countries for dental care yeah. like coverage? Anyway, but anyway, I, go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, I was sort of those those two things as well. But the uh, I, I, okay, so if you need glasses, you're gonna probably pay for them. Because yeah. you need to see. Yeah. You don't need to take taxis. You can drive. You can walk. You can take the bus. You can ride a bike. You know, like, and I'm assuming, which is kind of crazy, because I gave a ride to actually a guy who is blind and says that he, well, he can't do many of those things. So taxis are one of the only ways he can get around. Actually, that's but, interesting. Which is yeah. a weird like <laughs> yeah. callback to that. But the, um, it's it's sort of it's essential. You need to see. Taxis right. are sort of more an elective thing. But the thing is, when you when you actually have a high price on something, people won't do it because the price is too high. It's not like people are choosing whether or not they're buying glasses based on if they're $800 or if they're $20. But what I think a lot of the cab companies don't specifically don't realize, I know they're trying to protect their medallion prices, the permits, Mm -hmm. the license to operate, but the taxi industry in in San Francisco was $120 million or it was $120 million a year. And since Uber and Lyft have come into San Francisco, the p- number of people taking rideshare and taxis and all these different services has ballooned now to four or five hundred 
million dollars because people are giving wow. up their personal car because it's so much cheaper to get around wow. using uh, Lyft or something rather than taking a taxi. It actually creates a new market. It's sort of like um, on the internet, you didn't rent movies every single night from Blockbuster, but you can watch movies every single night from Netflix. The, the oh incremental God, cost you know is what? so much lower. I've never thought of that. I, I basically watch Netflix every single day. It's yeah. almost always part of uh, my girlfriend and I. It's part of our ritual of just like how we wind down our evening or whatever, no matter what we do. But you wouldn't have gone into a Blockbuster every night to get those videos. Right. And, yeah. I mean, maybe for brief periods of time i used to work at a video store yeah but uh maybe for brief periods of time i do sure. this you'd, you'd rent the seven tapes for uh, seven days remember sure. that yeah or seven dvds or whatever so uh yeah you, i remember that for a while but it's not like i do that for uh, 365 like i wouldn't get seven new movies for every every uh every week like that was an and, and these companies yeah. are innovating in ways far beyond just a smartphone app. Like Lyft is, has a service now called Liftline and Uber has Uberpool, which you say where you are and you say where you want to go. And on that ride, they, the driver will might pick up someone else as well and drop them off before you or after you. But you sort of optimize your routing. So you're sharing. It's a share taxi. Lyft also has another uh, cool thing called driver destination. So it's not someone who's operating a, a taxi or rideshare service full time. Right. It's sort of like, hey, I'm out in uh, a suburb and I'm going to be heading downtown at 4 p.m. And you put in that destination. You push it on your phone that you're, you're going to be on that route. And it sort of makes your seats available to someone. And if someone isn't too far out of the way, I think you can have like a five-minute type distance parameter. Like a, yeah. They'll hop in and they'll, they might be go. This, you know, the bus doesn't go along this route at this time. I'd love to. I'll pay gladly pay ten bucks to hop in this car. But the the comparison with a taxi would be like seventy dollars for that thing. That's and you true. might have to yeah, call yeah. and wait for forty-five minutes or things like this. And yeah. it's opening up lots of new opportunities for uh, specifically ride sharing less taxi competing because this is new markets that taxis literally aren't serving that's exactly it because you know what i was uh i was at a dinner engagement on friday yeah uh with uh some of my uh my girlfriend's friends and, and her and uh and uh, we were all hanging out and uh, we were all having a good time and then uh, the the night was winding down and, uh some someone had to get a cab and the cab because it had, I think we had, I don't know, I'm going to guess a millimeter of snow <laughs> yeah. here in Vancouver. The whole city shuts down and, and uh, they said, well, it's going to be an hour before we yeah. get a cab out to you. And this was like at maybe one thirty at night. And uh, they said, oh, an hour. Well, that's ridiculous. And so they called the second cab and the yeah. cab company didn't, the second cab company didn't even pick up. Yeah. So now that person, if they were, had really had a need to go somewhere, which they did to go home, yeah. but if they had a real need to go somewhere. Uh, they, they'd be just making stranded. bad choices too. That's right. Yeah. yeah People exactly. get drunk and they're like, oh, you know what? Yeah. I can probably drive tonight. There you go. Yeah. I'm no. from, I'm from Northern Ontario. I can drive in the snow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the idea behind it though, is that like, look at that. The market could support additional. People are willing rides. to pay for yeah. these things. I think, I, I, I believe in Vancouver, it's uh, the response rate for taxis after I believe six or 8 PM is 50%. So it'd be like if you ordered a pizza, and half the time that you ordered pizzas, they didn't show up. Like it's it's crazy. In any other business, this would be laughable. And I find it kind of startling that, can you think of any other industry that doesn't even promote themselves? There, there, there's no, there's literally no, you never see ads for taxis. They're not competing. They're not trying to grow their business. I always find it weird when I see tampon commercials because uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, this industry will always thrive. They, <laughs> yeah. they will never go out of business. Like, we have the bluest liquid in our commercials. That's right, <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and it's like, I'm like, do you really need to know which ones are the most absorbent? I'm like, come on, you're gonna have it. Brand awareness is another conversation, obviously. But <laughs> brand awareness, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you make a good point. So let me let me bring it back to this then. Okay. Yeah. So with all this laid on the table, um, you're you're going about and you're you're advocating uh, education regarding this and and sure. letting people know what's happening. What is what is it the average person can do to correct the situation? The average person can do is uh, if you're in any other city, pretty much other than Vancouver, start using these apps. Use Uber. Use Lyft. You, there's is it legal to use Uber in Vancouver right now? There, it doesn't exist right now. It doesn't exist. It, you can download download the apps. Use them. Try them out. See what works. It's not for every situation. I was in Toronto a month ago, and it was a lot easier just to put my hand up and a taxi was there to then stand there and wait on the side in the cold for five minutes. Um, but they, we, there was another instance the same night where we took three Ubers in one night. We were upstairs in a house, and mm-hmm. I pushed request car and by the time we actually got down it was two floors up it took about a minute to walk down the stairs by the time we walked out the front door he was already there and that was at 11 p.m on halloween which is on halloween yeah which like, is a nightmare in Vancouver. i know it was like one, less oh than God. a minute there was like you know an uber yeah. ride there uh try them out see how it works they're they're absolutely not perfect in every way but there's so many neat little opportunities and different ways you can use them um and demand changes there's petitions there's things like this but if you I believe if you uh, start using the services if you're anywhere else, it's good. It's the kind of thing where um, you start to see what it is. Talk to talk to cab drivers and don't buy into. Um, I like. I do. I'm doing this because I like taxis. I like the idea of on-demand public transport, publicly right. available transportation. Yeah, this isn't about tearing down one industry. It's about no uh, fulfilling the cracks and, and the holes where it's not working. I, I would love if there was ten times as many cabs or rideshare, right. different different opportunities yeah. out there. Because uh, I think driving around in your own personal vehicle around the city isn't something I particularly like to do very often. It's. Yeah. I, I don't own a vehicle out here. I've had my license since I was 16. Yeah. My full like my full license uh, from Ontario and. I renew it every year, but I'm like, I don't know why. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's a different way of doing it. And I know some people, their identity is tied to their, their vehicle. That's fine. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's part of, it's, you know, I, I own a car as well. And, and what I'm doing is I'm dressing up as a rooster and going around Vancouver, giving up free taxi <laughs> rides. And the whole point of this is to say, like, look at this system. Like, you, you can go on Twitter and you can ask for a, requi- a ride. You can request a ride. And if I'm able to make it, I'll come pick you up. I think we're going to look back in 10 years that this debate is gonna seem so laughable. It's gonna seem like, sort of like the Napster thing when it happened. Um, There's obviously a major debate on both ends, but like people are consuming and purchasing and sharing music digitally now. That's a thing, like that's, you can't uninvent the smartphone and it's the biggest innovation in public transportation in the last 80 years and I don't think we can go back. So the, not that we'd ever want to, who wants, you want to give up Google to, for the yeah. yellow pages? Exactly. Like this is, this is, this is the future. And, uh, I think it'll allow people to, to get around cities and small towns actually. And we were, we were in Invermere, BC, which is a town of like five, 10,000 people, oh, Eastern yeah. BC, yep. small place. We went out on a Friday night and it was 2am and the bar closed and there was 40 of us out in front of the bar. And I looked around, I'm like, so how do we get a cab here? And they're like, oh, the cabs don't work in the summer. And I was like, well, how do people get home? And they're like, yeah. you just drive, like you just drive drunk. And it's just like- You just I, roll the dice. You roll the dice and it's crazy. Like it's- Oh my God. You, I would think, you see, see the taxi industry says, 
these services are dangerous. They don't vet the drug. They're just playing the whole safety card. Like it's the same thing the opticians did with the, the coastal contacts thing, where they're like, "Well, you don't know. It's like a, a dark, dingy basement. You don't know where your glasses <laughs> come from." And it's like, dude, they come from the same place you get yours. It's yeah. just they're packaged differently and they're available <laughs> online. Idiots. I know, and it's <laughs> I, I I can't I can't wait until it changes because. Uh, it is, it's really fun to dress up as a rooster and meet people and give rides, but yeah. like, I personally am doing this completely selfishly. I want to use these services. I want to, yeah. I want to give them business. I want to drive my car 50% less and give them the money. I want the cab drivers, I want, and if you're out, even if you took Uber, if you're out in the city and you're with a group of friends and you see a cab and you need to go somewhere, you're gonna flag the cab. They're, you're gonna use Absolutely. more taxis, even if you're using these competing services. This is the most uh, unselfish, selfish thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Uh, will you hang tight just for a sec while we uh, switch gears? Maybe do some listener interaction? Sure, cool absolutely. All right, hang tight, one sec. So, Kyle McDonald's, redpaperclip.com. Like I just, uh, Get right back into it like we weren't just talking for the last fucking hour. Yep. Anyway, uh, Kyle, uh, I go ahead every week and I, uh, I ask for a little social interaction there. Reach out to the crowd and I say, uh, listen, audience, send in your questions. And all these questions have been thusly sent in for you, Kyle McDonald. So these are all specifically for you. Okay. These are not canned responses. These are, <laughs> these are uh, up there for you. Okay. Uh, this one came in and said... Uh, uh, this comes in via Facebook. Uh, it says, Kyle, do you believe in serendipity? If so, were there any trades that you turned down that may have diverted your path to the house in Kipling? That was rather extensive. This yeah, I'm just trying to Facebook. think. How to, I'm trying to understand yeah. that question a bit there. Uh, so let's see here. So do you believe in serendipity? That was the first part. And then, but if, if there was any trades I turned down that would have diverted it? Yeah. If so, were there any trades that you turned down that may have diverted your path to the house in Kipling? Oh yeah, like I could have gone so many. This was like a choose your own adventure book. The whole red paperclip thing was here. Here's 800 op- options. Which one are you gonna take? Do you ever hold your finger on the page just <laughs> in case you didn't like the choice? And then you could go back and redo it. <laughs> I, I didn't, but I I actually never really said this while I was doing the project. But I only traded with people that called me. Because it's really easy to send in like an email or, you know. Right. I wasn't even text messaging at the time. This is how long ago this was. So what I did was I just waited and people would call and I would talk to people on the phone. You could go through like 200 emails, but three phone calls, you're like, this is the person. They just, they have it. There's something about this. I need to make this trade. So it wasn't, it was less serendipity. I, I believe serendipity happens if you have less choices. If you, if you restrict yourself to a certain fate in terms of like, I'm going to eat at... A restaurant that starts with the P, and you walk around. You, right. And you would probably never have gone into that restaurant, but you sort of create a restriction. It creates. It's like a serendipity engine. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Okay. That's that's pretty smart. Yeah. I hope that's a successful <laughs> answer out there for someone. Because <laughs> that was a. You could tell that came from Facebook because there was that was well over 160 characters. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, this one came in via a direct message. Okay. So it says, uh, Kyle, whatever happened to that eagle sweater you had in the $5 bill vid. Do you still have it? <laughs> I've, st- I've still got that video. Uh, that, yeah, the video. The video's on the internet. The uh, sweater is in my room right now. Is that the one you wore in the uh, when you you were doing the social experiment as, as to uh, is it easier to hand out $5 or yeah. flyers? Yeah, what, and it's which, easier to hand out flyers than money that is ridiculous and you don't see many people flyering anymore i used to i guess it's a lost art maybe that has something 
to do with it. They're like, oh, a flyer. What, what, what is this? Like, I used to be really good at turning down you gotta flyers. You got to go to Gastown in the, the mid-July Gastown. That's true. That's power, yeah. power flyer season. Yeah. But there was no catch. <laughs> and I think when you do something with actually no catch, yeah, people don't, they've never seen that before. They're like, wait a second, this is a business. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm just, I'm literally handing out money. Like, that was a, that was an interesting one because again, you're just turning the whole process on its ear. You're like, oh, I'm just going to give away money. See how easy that is. And it would be cool to do an AB test though. Same place, same exact tactics, different sweater. So maybe that sweater has something <laughs> to do with it. I have like, I had a red version of that sweater and I traded it for this two pound bag of like kicking horse coffee. And then my dad and my brother were on this barge in Victoria and they bought out an entire kiosk of those sweaters. And I've, I saw them in Ecuador where like they make them apparently. Really? And this sweater is like, it's just this the crazy birthplace. bird. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty wild. It's actually not very comfortable at all or that warm, but it sure looks cool. Yeah. Uh, this question comes in via Twitter. It says, Kyle, what's the least fave thing you do? The least favorite thing I do? Like yeah. a tendency or thing I have to just do? Well, okay. Was this if, your if you let, well, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> if you let me, uh, if you let me uh, edit it, yeah, because you were just tagging onto it. What's the least fave thing you do? Yeah, um, I would like. I don't know. What did, I don't even know what that means. Well, answer it to your best of your ability. I don't even know what that means. Uh, if if it's like a caricature, caricature, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, personally, I stay up too late all the time, and I have like this twenty-seven hour like sleep schedule, and I sleep in and actually procrastinate. Um, but I guess if it's a professional thing that I do, um, I spend too much time on computers. Actually, I'm like totally the same way that people are gambling addicted. I'm addicted to like the internet actually and I try to not do that as much as possible but then it's like it's like the sort of angel that's crazy to hear you say that based upon the last I don't know 12 years of your life yeah so like that's that's a pretty wild statement to make it's 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 tough because there's so many things happening in the world but then there's so many things happening online like you can learn about anything quick and you if you're having I sort of call it researching yeah I'll like okay, what's happening with uh, taxis or ride sharing or Uber? And I can know so much more than you could have ever found out in any library of, of history. Of course. Right there, up to the minute news. And then as soon as I turn it off and just like put my phone away and have no internet, I never think about it. When, I, when I'm actually there, I'm like really there on it, yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if there's something on a molecular level or, or even metaphysically where you're like once the glow of the screen is on, all hail the computer lord and it's you're just, able it's to just tap links. in you can yeah. just go and you can just get lost in it and you, the curiosity can actually like I relate to what you're saying about uh, researching though because yeah. I mean even with the show it's like you can't talk to people about stuff and not even I mean like I don't know anything but like, or you can start researching how to make how to make podcast videos and then start making how to make podcast videos yeah, exactly. you can become an expert very quickly at many things these days and uh, and you can quickly flip-flop ADD to something brand new but it's it's fascinating because a lot of before this many of things that we do these days used to take years or decades to learn um, and I think using internet technology you can quickly solve things for yourself that you couldn't before and, I, and I'm I just I, I like learning but I like the idea of learning in an unstructured environment the problem with that is uh, when there's no parameters on it you end up you know the balloon fills the whole room and your whole brain gets filled with all these like things bouncing around so it's 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 nice to like d- d- disconnect all the time but uh when the you know when the when the dam bursts i'm like right there swimming in it you were one of the most interesting people i've ever met <laughs> in my life <laughs> 
Well, that was listener interaction. Was that medium okay? That seemed okay. That was great. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I got. I got to answer the same six questions. What was your favorite? I get the paperclip story generates the same quick six questions, and it's so good to hear to be able to reply to other questions. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why. Like when I started off the show today, I was like, "Well, we got to address this because there's no way I can't talk about <laughs> totally. that." Totally. Right? Like, and but also, you know, I think the bulk of what we talked about wasn't even that. You know, like it's like I, I like to uh, I like to set the table. And yep. then uh, serve something different. I'm like let's uh, let's do a little <laughs> something different. Yeah. Um, those of you out there uh, wondering uh, how to follow a mind like Kyle McDonald, uh, you could definitely go ahead and do so by uh, uh, actually. First of all, I should say if you want to actually take part of some of these free taxi rides that are taking place, uh, the way I met Kyle, um, you can go ahead right now on Twitter. Check out his uh, Twitter login. He's got at uh, yes free taxi. And uh, if you go on there, shoot him, uh, shoot him a message. He, he runs it periodically. Now, how, how often do you do it? Not tonight, obviously. I've done it almost every single day since I started, which over three weeks ago. So wow, it's, so 21 it's days straight? Almost. And it's, it's, I dress up as a rooster whenever I get the chance. And this is helping <laughs> what is me the, motivate. What is the uh, importance of the, the rooster costume? I don't know. I, I guess looking back, I might see it as more important. But uh, I wound up with my childhood collection of baseball cards, and I in the spring, and I was like, I got to get rid of these things. I've been carrying them around for twenty years. So I ended up putting it on Craigslist in the barter section, and some guy says I have a rooster suit. I'm like, that's perfect. So I traded for that, and then it's kind of <laughs> like getting rid of detritus or thing that's it's like this procrastin. There's triggers that cause procrastination, and I felt like. I've moved these baseball cards literally to 10 different houses I've lived in. Maybe it's time to get rid of them. I've, I've got a question for you. What are the odds of going onto Craigslist at any point in time and you have a posting on there? Uh, in one of the actual forums, probably pretty high. Pretty um, high? Yeah, yeah, whether it's something for sale or some sort of random rant. You've been the rant? Posting. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's yeah. kind of fun to mess around with people a bit. And Misconnections? Pretty, yeah. You were in the I've rooster never done suit. Misconnection. <laughs> uh, you drove by in the rooster suit. I had my hand in the air. You didn't respond to the free taxi. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Um, okay, well, hey, uh, yeah, so you can follow, uh, you can follow Kyle uh, online if you want to uh, get a free ride, get a free education on some of the uh, some of the practices taking place with, uh, with hired uh, transportation in the city of Vancouver. Um, you can also uh, check out Kyle. All of his exploits, all of his uh, information online is on uh, redpaperclip.com. Uh, it's pretty cool. There's really cool videos on there, including some of the ones we discussed on the podcast. Uh, you definitely want to check it out. He also has uh, books uh, out there. You can, you can go ahead and... Uh, what's, uh, what's the title of the book? The book is called look? One Red Paperclip. That's right. I highly encourage... It's in 14 languages. Uh best book i've ever written so please definitely what's, read what's it what's the most obscure language it's in estonian jesus yeah i don't even know what that sounds like estonian? i i yeah i have a copy of it somewhere yeah. okay. <laughs> there you go um yeah and it, it, guys if you want to uh follow me you can always follow me on the show if this is your first time listening go ahead and check out intergalacticinterviews.com you can go ahead and subscribe or share like hate whatever you want to do <laughs> send us your uh, ideas uh uh to jamie j-a-y-m-e at ampreCordsco.com, and enough of that plugging and all that stuff uh kyle you've been fantastic thanks since, for having me man since, well hey you're always welcome here at the <laughs> house of amp uh, this is the first time i've ever used that phrase uh the uh the main the main point i think people should take from this is that uh not everything is as it seems just because people tell you the way it, that's the way it is and uh, if you want to go away from that and take your own path, there are certainly examples of it working well. And uh, Kyle, you're one of them. 
Put on the glasses of a new reality. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I that's exactly what I mean. Uh, so, I'm sure you can hear the music. Why don't you say goodbye to these uh, happy people? Thanks, guys. Have a good time. A good time listening <laughs> to this. Yeah. See you guys. Love you. Next week.